Sound Design Live. Welcome to Sound Design Live. I'm your host Nathan Lively, and today I'm joined by live video streaming expert Eddie Codell. Uh, he has worked for some big names in internet broadcast, including Ustream, Justin TV, and Livestream. And he is here today to answer some of my questions about this growing industry. Welcome, Eddie. Thanks for being here. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is exactly that. Is this really a growing industry or just a geeky fad? And I know it sounds kind of silly to say that because obviously streaming video has been around for several years now. I, I don't know since when, but um, at least 10 years. Can I say that? Oh, absolutely. At least 10 years. Yeah, okay. probably. I mean, I first got involved in probably like 97, 98. So yeah. So it's been around. So it's obviously not a fad. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be here. But I guess I say that because I just don't see it taking over. Like none of my friends are watching um, live streaming concerts and then telling me about them. Um, and I'm the only one that I know that does that and maybe attends a webinar once a month uh, about audio or something else, some kind of tech related thing. Um, so on top of that, in the interview that I did with Brian Zisk back in May, he said that this is a golden age for internet broadcast. Um, and so once again, I think that's in one way true because I see lots of internet startups, but on the other hand, it doesn't seem true because I don't really see my friends adopting it. So my first question is, how common is live internet streaming? And my second question is, why isn't it ubiquitous already? Why doesn't every concert venue sell tickets to live streams of their concerts at a reduced price? And why doesn't every independent artist do the same? Um, just for an example, my favorite band, Sigur Ross, if they were to live stream every one of their concerts on their tour, I would go to every one of them because I'm a big fan and I can't go to every city that they're in. And I might not even be able to see them when they come to San Francisco because they're playing at Outside Lands and that costs like $250. And I don't want to see all of those bands. I definitely think it's growing. I think a lot more people are live streaming in various capacities. In, in that, in, oh, by the way, webcasting is what, what we used to call it, and now it's live streaming, but essentially it's the same thing. Um, I think it's growing because, uh, well, the evidence that it's growing is that everybody has an iPhone or a smartphone these days which can live stream, right? So you can now use, you can now basically stream to a Justin TV or a Ustream or uh, a live stream from your mobile device um, wherever you are. And the quality isn't super great, but you, you know, if you look at the Occupy Wall Street stuff that's been going on, you see a lot of live streamers out there with their phones and people are tuning in. You know, it's like the, something about being in the moment and participating in um, in something that you don't know what's going to, you know, an experience where you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if the cops are going to freak out and start beating people's heads or, <laughs> you know, or if rioters are going to destroy downtown Berkeley or, yeah. or Oakland or whatever. And um, so there's, some, there's something just really engaging about this, you know, as a viewer tuning into that and just like, you know, it's, it's like real, it's real reality TV in essence, right? Um, and so on the one hand, I, I think that's an interesting example because it's it's kind of become it's sort of almost a killer app for um, for live streaming, right? And um, so that's one example where where it's being used by in, individuals on the street with pretty much you know off the you know with hardware you can buy very cheaply. Um, on the more uh, higher end side, more professional side, I, I'm definitely seeing kind of an uptick of of um, people wanting to stream conferences and events where it would make sense to broaden the audience beyond whatever venue they're in. Um, so, so there's definitely the professional world where people are, uh, you know, there, there's conferences or presentations, people have slides, et cetera, and they want to bring in a larger audience. There's a certain cost to doing that professionally. Um, and when you move moving to the music side of it, that's, that's a whole different ballgame. I mean, 
the, to answer your question about why aren't more bands doing that or more acts um, streaming their um, their concerts, I, I think it's a fairly complicated question, but I think the 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 answer is it's well. The quick answer is it's not in their domain, and they uh, concert uh, producers. Um, and bands to to do that, and I, I'm guessing there's probably a feeling that that core experience of taking something that is an immersive live experience and sending it to the internet is probably not the same thing. Um, and also to do it right, you really do need to spend some money and bring in the right equipment and have the right infrastructure, you know, to to um, to pull it off in a professional way that you know gives credence to a band like Seeger Rose, which. You know, and, and I think they might be an exception because every one of their shows are, are, is, is like, you know, magical experience, right? And no, no two shows are, are alike. Um, and so, you know, there are a few acts that have kind of a hardcore following like that that I think would, you know, where that would make sense for. But I think for a lot of acts, I, I think maybe as it becomes easier and cheaper um, to sort of do it on your own, we may see more of that going forward. But not every venue has internet, not every... Um, you know, the cost of putting it on professionally is not insignificant. Um, and, you know, it's really un unproven whether people are willing to pay for it. So there's people who are doing it and they're trying to create shows and they're trying to build, you know, try, they're, they're basically maybe testing the waters and it's kind of fun. Um, but then there's certain niches where I think it's picking up. One is gaming, like online video gaming. Um, so you'll get these gaming competitions where people will play, you know, um, Starcraft or whatever, where you got four or eight people in a room, and what they'll do is they'll take a feed from the console and send it out to uh, the live stream, and a ton of people will tune into that to the point where Justin TV, which sort of became the de facto place for um, gamers to to host their gaming content, um, spun off a whole new business called Twitch TV, which is all about that. Which is they're focusing on that, so they're 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 um, you know helping to sponsor actual competitions. Um, and then they live stream the whole thing, and um, wow. yeah, and a ton of people tune into it. So it's it's no interesting idea. to see these niches that are kind of branching off. I want to understand a little bit more why, for example, every music venue in Berkeley doesn't just live stream all of their concerts and and charge uh, a monthly rate or right. or reduce ticket price to get them in there. Yeah, I, I you know I, I don't know the real answer to that. Um, I mean, I know you know again. I think my 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 intuition is that um, the technical hurdle might be, might be perceived as being too high for people who you know, run a, a venue and that's kind of out of their domain. Um, and you know, which, which means having a decent internet connection and you know, nobody wants to provide an experience that sucks and then have really bad PR. So I think there's a little bit of fear. So I, so I think to, you know, if that's a viable business model, the way it needs to happen is somebody needs to go around to those venues and say, hey, I can provide this service for you. I can make it rock solid. I can make it really awesome. And, um, and then, then even, if, even if you have that, and I know there are organizations out there that do that, then you've, you've got to negotiate with, with all the various uh, labels for, for rights, right? Performance rights and streaming rights. And that is absolutely not an easy thing to, to yeah, deal with. Yeah, I suppose you would need to include that in the contract for each yeah. artist. That and that actually might be the big thing. That might be the main reason. It could just be that, that dealing with rights issues is just such a headache that they don't even bother. For example, if um, a client that I work with is asking me to do audio for their event, audio and video maybe for their corporate event or for their concert, what kind of questions do I need to ask them since I don't have a lot of experience in live streaming? Can you tell me some questions, some critical information that I need from the client to make sure it goes well and to find out 
what kind of level of production they need. Right. Um, well, the first question probably is, do they have a budget just for the live stream part of it? Um, if they're just like, oh, we're, we'll pay you to come in and do the audio stuff, and can you also do the live stream on top of that? That's that's kind of a hairy situation because you you budget's going to determine the quality of what you can do. Um, you you know, there's there's basically two levels. Well, probably multiple levels, but I, I would consider two basic levels of quality that you can get for minimal to no cost or for a moderate amount of cost, let's say maybe $1,000 or so. Um, and the, um, the minimal to no cost is just taking a camera and aiming it at you know, wh whatever it is that you're, you're capturing and then outputting that um, camera feed into a laptop and then running and then just using a Ustream or a Livestream or Justin TV. Um, and there's free software or you can just use their websites and they have their own broadcast console. Um, that so that the thing is the you know you're that can work in some instances, but um, the problem there is you are any number of things could go wrong. Um, flash could crash. The website in which you're transmitting from is is going to go down. Find out if they have a budget. Um, if they have like no budget and you're willing to put in the the the, the work to do it, um, the, the simple easy way is going to be just a camera, a laptop, and um, definitely an internet internet connection. Um, the next question would be, what is the, what is the internet connectivity at the venue? Um, and you'll want to do a speed test to check. You want to make sure that your outbound bandwidth is at least one megabit. Um, you can do it less, but if you do that, you're you're you know you're potentially setting yourself up for failure. Um, also, you want to make sure that it's a wired connection, not a wireless connection. Um, the wireless can work, but it's um, for streaming. It's pretty pretty fickle because. Uh, not all, all wireless packets make it to the router, and if other people are on the wireless, then that's you're competing for you're competing and for the, the connection. How do you safeguard your connection to make sure it gets the priority? Well, I mean, a lot of that is up to the client, right? You, you have to tell the client ahead of time, hey, look, uh, I need you know, I, I need I need a decent internet connection with at least a megabit outbound, and it can't be shared, right? That's usually what I tell people. So depending on the venue, if it's the Mission Bay Conference Center in San Francisco, which has like a 60, 100 megabit outbound link, it's not an issue because they've got so much bandwidth that even if everybody's on a laptop in there, it's really not going to affect it. Um, but if you just if you go into you know maybe maybe a venue down in you know just a music venue downtown, they might only have a DSL line, right? And so they might only be 800k out or something like that. Um, if it's just if if that line is dedicated to the live stream and nothing else, no one is you know they're not using it for processing credit card payments or the Wi-Fi is open to people uh, in the venue, then you could probably pull it off. But if you're sharing a DSL line with with multiple potential users, then that could set you up for failure. There's, so I was kind of getting into the kind of different levels. So the, the base level is just using a laptop and a camera. Um, the, you know, you can get a fairly decent quality production doing that as long as you're able to monitor sound and make sure that the, the lighting is decent and, and the, the picture quality is good. Um, then you can just run software like um, um, Flash Media Encoder Live, which is uh, Adobe's free um, Flash encoder software. And basically the way that works is you just... Um, you know, you set up an account at a, a live stream, you stream Justin TV or whatever, and then uh, you have an XML file and you load it into this into the Flash Media Live Encoder, and then you set your you want to set your quality settings. So you got to decide what the bit rate's going to be. You know, 400k, 600k, one megabit, whatever. Then you're going to set your um, your picture quality, whether uh, the, you know what the, whether it's going to be in HD, which you're probably not going to do in most cases because 
you probably won't have the bandwidth for it and most users probably aren't gonna be able to see it still, though we're getting, we're getting there. Um, so basically you wanna set your frame size, your bit rate, um, and, uh, and then you wanna test it, make sure that it uh, is viewable on you know, the CDN, the, the Ustream, Livestream, or Justin. Um, and then um, that's sort of the simple, easy way to do it. The more, the, the next step up would be to use a dedicated hardware encoder, which is basically a box, a computer that's dedicated to bringing in video feeds and um, encoding them in, in, in either one or multiple resolutions, um, all the way from HD down to whatever. Uh, and then it can send out to one or more locations simultaneously. Um, so for larger events, I'll, I'll use what's called a TriCaster, a new tech TriCaster, um, which is essentially a computer in a box with a whole bunch of input and outputs on it, uh, audio and video. And so the, uh, the HD version of that, I can, I can plug in eight cameras or eight video sources in um, HD all the way down to composite video. Uh, and I think it has like four or eight XLR audio inputs as well. Um, and then you basically set up like three giant monitors and you've got your, you've got your basically a video switcher on one of them, you've got an audio, you can have your audio mix on another, and then you can have a, a preview or a program out on the third. Um, and then they, they make a special little uh, video switcher console thing, which you don't need to have, but it's kind of nice and looks more pro when, you, when you've got one. You know, <laughs> makes the client look, feel like, you know, it's only a few extra bucks if you're running one anyway. And, uh, but the cool thing about that is it's essentially a broadcast switching environment, live switching environment in a box, right? And so you've got all these feeds coming in, you can do bottom thirds, you can do pre-roll video, you can do graphics, you can even do green screen sets, crazy complicated stuff. Um, well, it sounds like you're talking about a pretty big gap to GoPro. I mean, we, yeah. we just went from free we, to like yeah. $20,000 hardware, I'm right? Sure, I'm kind of showing you kind of the, 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 the extremes, right? There's definitely stuff in the middle, too. You don't have to go all the way to a TriCaster to, to do a two-camera shoot. Like, you could do a two-camera shoot with a laptop and Firewire. How do you do a two-camera shoot with a laptop? I mean, Well, it's harder now because um, the way I've done it in the past is, is using uh, Firewire, which is becoming less common now. There's an, A, they're not making very many cameras that do FireWire, and FireWire is being phased out. You're not seeing that um, in um, laptops anymore. You know, the, the traditional way that I would do it is I would have two cameras, um, you know, and I would have, if I can connect them, both if both cameras have FireWire out, I could have them go directly into a hub and then go into my Mac, and, and I can switch to fairly reliably in standard definition. Uh, HD is a little harder because it's a bit more constraint on the CPU. There's a lot more processing power for doing HD. And you're still using the Flash Live producer? For um, in that case, I'm not. I'm using Wirecast, which is software that has Flash built into it. It has the, the Flash uh, Live meeting code built into it. But basically, Wirecast is almost like a software version of, of the TriCaster. It'll, it'll handle multiple camera inputs, um, and it'll let you do the bottom thirds or lower thirds and graphics and pre-roll. Um, videos and it can actually also write to disk, write a uh, record out to disk, okay. but it's it's constrained by your by the CPU power and and number of inputs you have on your computer, so you can do two do, do you can do do a two camera NTSC you know DV standard def shoot pretty easily in that environment, but once you step up to HD it's a little harder. There there's also these boxes I use called a a cannabis ADVC analog to digital converter box, which basically would take an analog video signal out from a camera, like a compositor S video out signal from a camera, and it converts it to FireWire. So if you have so that way you, you don't have to actually have a camera that has FireWire on it. You can you can use pretty much any camera as long as it has a an, an analog video out. Quality of course is not going to be as good as if you're going over HDMI or SDI, but um, that's sort of the way it was done in the, you know that's 
that's the cheap, easy way it's been done in the past. Um, now, you know, this is actually an interesting question for me because now um, the, the world is HDMI and SDI. Mm-hmm. A lot of the cameras have HDMI. Yeah. I did an event recently where I had to just stream from one room to another room, but yeah, I had a little Canon and it has an HDMI yeah. output and can stream the... It can yep. stream that HDMI output at the same time as recording. Right. The only the, the only problem there is uh, most computers do not uh, have an HDMI capture card. Mm-hmm. They've got HDMI out for monitors, but most don't have HDMI inputs. Um, are we under attack? Is that there? Noon. Yeah. Okay. okay that, that happens here too. <laughs> I okay. think they test like once a month. <laughs> right. Wednesdays, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, should we pause or? Whatever. It's fine. There's background <laughs> noise. Background. You know. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, so it's an interesting question because right now most computers don't have an HDMI capture uh, ability to do HDMI capture um, because they're just not, they weren't really built for streaming. Uh, that wasn't really kind of the, their intentions. So there are cards you can buy if you have a desktop computer. You know, Blackmagic and Aja make uh, HDMI capture cards. Um, and there's boxes too that you can plug in HDMI and have it go out other formats. Um, so it's still something I'm researching on, on the low end, how HDMI would work well you know just hdmi directly into a computer do you have examples that then you show clients who who need to be educated a little bit when you say well here's this free option and it's going to look like this and here's this um option if you have a budget where it's going to look more professional and it'll look like this do you have examples that you can send them yeah um i don't i don't know if i have them broken down exactly like that but i um on my uh on my website eddie.com slash hire me i think is the url um there is uh I, I list out a lot of links to various events i've done over the years and um the uh and i describe i think the number of cameras and the equipment that's used in some of them so i'll just send them links i'll send them to that and okay. sort of point out you know do you think you could send me some of those sure. links specifically that I could add to this post so then people could take a look totally. and yeah. say, well, here's what I can do for free. Here's what I can do yeah. for a higher level. Yeah, definitely. Okay. There's a, I've got an interesting project coming up that, that, um, that, uh, that's actually going to be a lot of fun and it'll probably be fairly challenging. Um, I'm doing a, uh, a project for uh, a client who I can't name just yet, but what we're going to do is have um, a bunch of 12 hackerspaces from around the world that are going to live stream uh, for 72 hours um, this challenge that they're going to be engaged in. Uh, and then those live streams are going to be public to anybody on the internet. Uh, but we're also going to have a studio in San Francisco where we'll pull in those live streams and we'll have a host, uh, a hosted set. There'll be a host and we'll have cameras there and probably a green screen or something. And the local host is going to interact with the, um, with the remote, um, people at those at those hackerspaces what will the remote video be people on computers or people talking or just screen captures uh so there'll there'll be cameras in each of those places and um generally i think what's going to happen is the camera is going to be on and it's going to be pointed at um the room where things are being made where this challenge is being constructed so you know it involves circuit boards and soldering and you know and running code so there's probably going to be a camera there but as far as the, the production goes what we'll do is we'll have um team members from those cities come on and give us updates about what's what they're doing and they'll interact with the host. Yeah. So how, how are you ingest their live streams? What format and transmission will that be in? Well, it's all to be determined, but but um, likely what we're going to do is we'll team up with a with a, a streaming platform. So the camera feed will go directly out as, you know, Flash or, um, or H.264 or... Um, 
you know, encoded video that, that can be watched, you know, online. Um, but the for the, the interesting part will be how because there's so there's latency issues, right? You can't if you if you're streaming live, there's usually a few seconds to maybe up to a minute delay um, in in what in what you receive and what the person um, who's transmitting. Uh, from the time of which what, what person's transmitting to when, when it's received. And that totally varies depending on where you are on the internet. It's not common across anywhere. So, like, if we were, you know, if you and I from our houses in San Francisco and Berkeley were watching the same live-streamed event, I might see it a few seconds sooner or later than you do, right? And so there's no... Um, so that's kind of so that's an issue. So when it comes to doing the interviews, what we might do is switch to Skype or one of these other... Um, Video platforms that are starting to blow up now. I don't know if you followed the Airtime launch yesterday. No, with the, what's that? With the Sean's. Um, so Airtime is um, a product of uh, Sean Parker and Sean Fanning, who created Napster. And essentially, it is. Are you, are you familiar with Chat, Chat Roulette? Yes. So it's like Chat Roulette, but without the penises. <laughs> Why don't you, for people who don't know what chat, chat Roulette is, if I remember correctly, it was popular two or three years ago when it first came on because you get on and you can have your webcam on and your microphone and it's like Skype or any other chatting or um, video call software except it randomly pairs you up with someone to talk to. And um, yeah, it sort of gained... Uh, uh, reputation for being sexy, right? Well, <laughs> sexy is the right word, but definitely there was sexual related content that would be popping through there. So yeah, there were a lot of people who might... Y- y- so the idea is it was, it was literally like a Russian roulette. You would not know who was going to be on the other side of that webcam. When and sometimes it was go. Ben Folds. I don't know if you ever... Yes, I that. did see that. Yeah, so that was Folds hilarious. Did that live for that a little was great. while where he would bring his laptop, put it on his piano. Yep. And then um, get on chat roulette and just talk to someone and then sing them a song. With an audience, And I remember yeah. it was a guy like in the dark and so he started writing a song about <laughs> guy in the dark, what are you doing? Yep. That was awesome. That was like the best use case. Um, so, so chat roulette definitely struck a nerve with a lot of people. A ton of people wanted to, you know, uh, um, use it or were using it. But it was completely minimal um, in how it was designed and it was totally random and there was really no social interaction other than here's this random person that you can chat with and, and, and talk to you online. But there was no filtering, there was no, it was very, you know, can be very X-rated at any moment. Um, so the difference is, uh, so that idea was, you know, the, the Sean Fanning and Sean Parker caught on to that and they decided to basically take that concept but, but push it into Facebook. So essentially the way it works is it's the same similar concept except you, you log into it and you connect it with your Facebook and so all your Facebook friends show up and you can, you can chat with any of your Facebook friends very quickly but the more interesting part is the random hookup thing. So you just say connect me and what it will do is it will connect you with somebody who is a friend of a friend of yours already on Facebook or um, by common interests you might have so, or by location. So you might get connected. I was playing. With, so it just came out yesterday. It just went public yesterday, and I, I played with it last night for about an hour. And I, I, of the ten people that I connected with, two were people I had already n- known. So, so it's not completely random. They're like, okay, we'll connect you with some. You know, if you're in Cigar Rose and you live in Berkeley and you like 
to harvest chickens or whatever, and you've got, <laughs> you know, um, and you have that in your profile, it'll look at that stuff and it'll try to match you up with somebody similar, right? And then so you might end up talking to your neighbor who you know tangentially or don't know really well, and bam, you're having a video conversation with that person. Um, and so the cool thing is it shows you these interests and they just pop up, and so immediately you have something to talk about other than penises, um, you know, unless that's <laughs> in your interest. And then the other weird thing is they apparently they have some algorithm that detects whether faces are there or not, and if there's no faces it basically kicks you out and, and, and you go to the next one. Hmm. They did a big launch in New York with a bunch of celebrities and stuff and they had a, a whole bunch of technical problems so it was a complete oh, really? disaster. Yeah, Jim Carrey, Julie Louise Dreyfus, um, Ed Helms, um, uh, Olivia Munn, I don't know, I think uh, it was that's embarrassing. Snoop Dogg. Do yeah, wrong? it was, what's that? Do you know what went wrong? Well, I mean, I didn't the see the broadcast. Stuff. I only read the, the, the um, you know, the news reports afterwards, and it sounds like they just had technical problems in making connections to um, to the various people they were trying to call to. I mean, I don't know if it was internet connection issues, it was their platform, or, you know, Snoop was too high when, to answer the <laughs> call when it came in. I, who knows? You know, um, so, but it works. I mean, I, you know, it definitely, yes, last night when I was using it, I was pretty blown away, you know, just, so. And the reason I bring that up is, you know, kind of goes all the way back to the, what we were talking about in the very beginning, the ubiquity of, of live streaming. So traditional live streaming of just taking a camera and um, aiming at something and making content is one format that I think is, won't, won't go away, but this other, this other format of like one-to-one conversations or one-to-a-few conversations with people is starting to kind of blow up. And it makes sense because every computer now has a webcam in it almost. Um, everybody's got high bandwidth and almost everybody's on Facebook. So for the for airtime, it, it kind of like makes a lot of sense. Like I think there's a lot of stickiness there, <laughs> um, if I can use that word. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another service that's kind of interesting too called Spreecast, which is um, kind of like an online talk show where you can have four people up at one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you wanted to, you could do a video uh, live conversation with four people around the world. They would all show up in a little quadrant like Hollywood Square style. And then what's interesting though is you can have an audience that's watching you. And then, like the price is right, you could say, okay, audience member 2734 or whatever, or you can just call them by name, I guess, come on down, and then it'll queue them up, right? And then off, um, there's a tool within the service that lets you preview their webcam and their audio okay. before going live with them so you can see if they're ready to go, right? So there, there can be a producer behind the scenes controlling these things. And it can be, you, I mean, you as the host, you can do that too while you're, while you're doing it live, yeah. Um, and it's pretty simple. So you've got these, you know, up to four people talking at one time, and they figured out the latency issue fairly well. So, so if you were hosting a show with three other people, those three other people can hear you. You can have an actual conversation back and forth without much delay. And that's a hard problem to really figure out on the internet because it really is never designed for asynchronous or for synchronous, you know, um, communication like that. Well, just out of curiosity, um, when people like YouTube do these big productions where they do big festivals like Coachella. I assume they hire a specific vendor who just guarantees them a solid internet connection. Yeah, so for something like that, they bring in external internet. So oh, we haven't even gotten into the to the remote internet stuff, um, which I can talk hours about that. Um, the um, so typically the the traditional way, the costly way, but the pretty much rock solid way of doing it is you bring in a satellite truck, um, and a satellite trucks can bounce multiple HD signals out. And it's fairly reliable. It's technology's been around forever, but it's pricey. You know, it's a minimum five grand just to roll a truck, right. and then it's by the hour, and you know, um, beyond that. So, 
Um, and that's probably what they do. They probably have a couple of trucks or something at Coachella because it's such a huge festival and there's so many people watching. And it just, you know, five, you know, even if it was 50 grand for satellite time or whatever, that's still nothing for, for, for them. But people who don't have budgets like that, um, there's now equipment uh, that lets you um, transmit high quality video over cell phone data modems. Um, and so I'm actually consulting with a company that makes this kind of stuff right now. Um, and uh, one, one of the items they have is a backpack that you wear that has, um, it's basically a computer that takes video input into it, um, but it connects to up to eight like Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, whatever, like 4G or 3G data modems. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it takes the video signal and it spreads it out across those data modems and it reconstructs it on the other end. Uh, so the company I'm working for right now is called TVU Networks and their hardware is pretty amazing stuff. So they're, they traditionally have been selling to broadcasters, to, um, to television stations and networks and who, are, who are using the stuff in the field uh, in lieu of a satellite truck because it's much cheaper. They can buy... I don't know what they sell the hardware for, but let's say it's like 30 grand or whatever. So you've got a, the, the, the broadcaster piece and you have um, a, a receiving computer and you can punch it, you can push in a, a 1080p HD signal into it. And then on the other end, coming out of a, a capture card is 1080p video coming out. And it's super high quality and you know it's it, it, it works really, really well. Um, so there's that product and now they've, they're coming out with a smaller device that's like a pound and it can just fit on the back of a camera. And it can take up to six modems and pretty much deliver the same experience. So Eddie, since me and a lot of my audience are interested in audio quality, could you give me some tips for what I can do on my end to make things sound good on the other end for people watching on their laptops or computers at home? I mean, you you just basically want to to encode you want to encode a stereo signal at a high, at a high quality that um, is not, you know, in, in a bit rate that isn't too high so it can still be sent over the internet but still sounds good. So probably, I mean, it depends on the content too. If you're doing music, obviously you want to send a high quality audio stream out. If it's just a conference where people are speaking, then you can get away with a mono signal. It's like 80K or something. Um, if you're doing, yeah, if you're doing anything that's got, you know, some rich content, then I mean, at minimum, I use 128K for... Um, for compression. That's interesting. So you're yeah. generally encoding to MP3. Uh, uh, actually, AAC. Okay. Yeah. Um, because right now, um, Flash uh, supports H.264 and AAC as their um, as their ingestion method. Okay. I want to know how you got into video and um, internet streaming. What were some of your first jobs, and what is what's some helpful information you can share about getting new clients and finding work in general? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the gig that got me the job at Ustream, this is a pretty fun story, um, MySpace was doing a secret show in San Francisco, so they were doing these these, these series of shows uh, where they were, you know, when MySpace was still relevant, um, and Weezer was playing at, uh, I think it was like the... Uh, when Weezer was still relevant. <laughs> when Weezer was still relevant, <laughs> yes. This was probably 2007 or eight, actually. Um, and they were doing a show in San Francisco, and it was a multi-camera shoot, and Ustream was broadcasting it live. Like, people could tune in and watch it and, you know, whatever. And, uh, and they were using a TriCaster, and I got hired to help out on it. And I remember when the cameras went out, and they couldn't, and, and people were like, oh, what's going on? We, we lost the camera. And it was, like, right 
I was like, like right in the middle of the show and I was like, I'll figure this out. And I just followed the BNC cable from the, the TriCaster all the way back to where that camera was. And like, I'm sure somebody stepped in the cable or broke or whatever. And I followed it all the back and I was literally in the pit, like in front of the stage and, and in front of the audience, you know, where, the, where security and photographers and stuff are. And I had to get into the pit and then I found the, the BNC cable ripped apart from where the cameraman had like stepped on it or something. Whoa. And so immediately I was like, oh shit, well, I couldn't, like, it, the, the cable was literally ripped. So I had to actually re BNC it, to, you know, re, re crimp the cable and, and put it back together or find another cable. Mm-hmm. So I went down, and for that they had a satellite truck. They were sending the video feed out. So I ran down the satellite truck. It was some guy from Santa Cruz, and he was just sitting there smoking a joint. And, the, and he saw me, and he thought I was like a boss or something. Dude, it's cool, it's fine. I'm just this BNC cable. Like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> Put the joint down, gave me the stuff. Ran back up there and uh, reconnected it. you had to it. run a few hundred feet of Well, BNC. no, it turned out I didn't. I just needed a patch cable to go from the camera to, um, to the cable that had... The, the, the broken cable was actually on the, the shorter end, so I just needed to replace that. Um, but, you know, it was all, I had to, like, diagnose it and figure it out and get the cable um, all within, you know, a, a few minutes' time while the show was going on and avoid people, you know, who were, like, moshing around me and stuff. So um, I did that, and I got the camera up, and then word got back to Ustream that I kind of know what I'm doing and, you know, was able to, like, solve problems under fire. And um, so that's, so then I got hired at Ustream, and um, that was a really awesome gig. I was, I was running production services there, which, mean, which meant I got to go do some really cool events around the world. Um, for example, I was on a junket with um, Sports Illustrated swimsuit models for a week, where uh, in yeah in New York and in Las Vegas, um, where they were doing multiple events um, and they were live streaming them, and I just basically was the Ustream representative to make sure nothing went wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had to be on the bus with the models and uh, on the plane with them, and yeah, it was a really horrible experience. Um, <laughs> my thing is I'm. You know, trying to sort of, my, my main thing is just being on top of sort of, of the, the latest and greatest in the world of streaming so that I'm just aware of all the various platforms and technologies that are sort of being used right now so that I can sort of pick the best of or the most interesting solution for whatever it is we're going to do. Like this, this thing that we're, we're doing for this, you know, um, for this uh, energy drink company that I can't name right now uh, with the hackerspaces, um, that's like a really ambitious, crazy event. And, for the, and I'm excited about it because there's like all this tech that's involved and, you know, we, can, we might be able to rope in airtime or spreecast or something to do some stuff there. So it's, it, it's a great playground to play with these various technologies. Um, so a lot of it is just sort of positioning myself as somebody who understands all this crap and, and can really, you know, put myself out there for that. Um, you know, there's pro- I'm not the best marketer. I don't, you know, I don't know how the best tips on how to get more work. Um, I did... Actually, through LinkedIn, I joined a, a webcaster group there and um, uh, showed up at a couple meetups uh, that a guy there who runs his own webcasting business down in the South Bay was hosting. And so he and I ended up connecting, and he ended up hiring me for a few gigs. So we're, now we're working together. And he gets really like he like Zynga's one of his clients, but so, uh, he also gets a lot of big conferences. Um, at like Moscone Center and stuff, big tech conferences and things like that. I also started a meetup group. Um, it's called the. It's officially the Bay Area Live Streamers and Webcasters Meetup Group. So it's a bit of a mouthful, but I think if you just go to SF Webcasters and Meetup, you'll find it. Uh, and and I haven't had a meeting yet, but the idea is once a month we'll get together and we'll talk shop around webcasting, live streaming, um, and that it'll be everything from stories from the field to reviews of gear to sharing tips on 
you know, what to do when things go wrong, whatever, but really just trying to get a room full of people who have an interest who, or are involved in webcasting or just want to, you know, just want to know more about it who may not have that much experience with it and really, uh, you know, just and trade stories. And so the idea there is we'll have two or three speakers per meetup and they will share their experiences and then they'll be kind of just networking and meet and greet kind of stuff afterwards. Well, I hope you follow through and do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll definitely come if there's some hardware to play with. Okay, awesome. Well, I, I, my plan is definitely to bring hardware for, for, for some of that and then encourage other people to do that as well. So maybe this will be the, uh, the, the, the we got to do it now. Yeah, now I put it out there. The world knows, right? So, no, I mean, I got the group, and I've actually got a couple of venues in mind. I just need to pull the trigger and pull it and find a date. So um, I'll probably do it about a month out, so it'll probably be in July sometime at this point. So, Eddie Codell, thanks for being here. Is there anything else you want to talk about, and uh, where is the best place for people to follow your work online? Oh. Um, so my website is eddie.com, uh, E-D-D-I-E dot C-O-M. Uh, and uh, you know, I have a blog there, which I try to update when I can. Um, and I'm on Twitter at ekai, E-K-A-I. Uh, those are probably the two main uh, places that I live. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. Cool. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Sound design live.